So we're going to be in 1 Peter today. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Allow me to open up with a word of prayer. Lord, we love You, and again, we are so grateful that we can come to You at any and every point, God, when we are rejoicing, when we are happy and everything seems right, when we are grieving, when we are crushed under the weight of um, trials and, and any kind of testing that may come into our lives, Lord, we can always come to You boldly. We can come into the throne room of grace because of You, Jesus, because of what You have done for us, what You have secured for us at the cross. So great a salvation, so great an adoption, Lord. We've been brought into Your family and we are sons and daughters of God. And so we, we cling to that afresh and anew. We thank You and we worship You for it. Lord, and I, I pray today as I share from Your Word that You would minister to all of the hearts and the minds that are, are listening, whether in this room or, or online, uh, because this is, a, this is a strange time that we're living in and we all need to hear from You. This is a time when people who don't even know You, Lord, are, are beginning to seek out of fear and uncertainty. And so I pray, God, that this time would not be wasted, but that You would use it for Your glory and for the sake of the lost, and for the furtherance of Your kingdom. And so we love You, Lord. We're here. We're Yours. Please speak to us by Your Word. Please encourage our hearts in You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen and Amen. Alright, well, we're going to depart from the book of Romans for a time. I'm not exactly sure how long. I, I would like to come back together in Romans when we gather together again corporately. Um, we may come back to Romans sooner than that. I don't know at this point, but week by week, uh, I would like to try to do different things. And I thought that it would be fitting today to just try to encourage you guys to share a word of encouragement from the New Testament, from the book of Peter. So let me just start by stating the obvious. There are a lot of fears in the world right now. A lot of fears in our country, in various states, in our communities, in our church. It's all over the place. And there are financial fears, to be sure. Some people are filling the crunch. Some people are a little nervous. There are full-on financial crises happening with people right now. There are health fears all across the globe. There is germophobic anxieties. You know what I'm talking about. Everywhere we go, there's just this invisible enemy, as it were, and this cloud hanging over us. Things are just strange. You don't really want to shake hands. You don't really want to touch things. There's this anxiety in the air. The, the supply shortages. You go into the store and you see the empty shelves. It's a little unnerving. It's a little bizarre. Routine change is something that we're all going through and it's something that people don't cope with very well. We don't handle routine change uh, so often and it's something that we're all having to go through right now. And because of that, our families that have to stay at home are in very close proximity to one another, and that is not so easy. People who are used to kind of having their space and going out uh, about their, their business day to day are now stuck in the house in very close proximity to their, their family and can frankly be quite annoyed at times by that. It's a challenge, I understand. But I think uh, the uncertainty of it all, the uncertainty of the future kind of wondering, how long is this thing going to go on for? How bad could it get? Are things ever going to be 
this, you know, normal again? Is it going to be like it was before? There's just so much uncertainty in the air. And these are all legitimate concerns. All legitimate concerns. They're not to be minimized, and I don't want to treat them dismissively. It's the last thing that I want to do. Um, I do believe, I believe wholeheartedly and with good reason, that this is going to pass. This is a very strange trial. But like so many other trials, they come and they go. They come and they go. And no sooner than this one goes, there's going to be another trial in our lives. Uh, We'll talk more about that a little later. But I do believe that this is going to pass. However, I don't think that that message should be uh, the goal of my encouragement to you today. Um, I, I can say with confidence that this will pass, but I don't know that that should be the message that I that I bring to you today. I don't think that's the best message that I can bring you to, to you. I don't know that that's the scriptural message necessarily to bring to you. I think God would have us to elevate our thinking from temporal to eternal matters. God would have us to take our eyes off of what is going on around us and to set our hope and our trust in Him and to remember that this is not our home. Everything down here is uncertain and it always will be. But we have a solid foundation, and that is our Lord Jesus and the promises that we have in God and the reality that is ours who belong to Him. And so that's what I want to try to do today. I want to try to pastor you guys and encourage you to set your eyes upon the Lord and to keep your hearts fixed upon heavenly things, things that do not fade, things that do not fail. God Himself has said He would never leave us nor forsake us, and that is the bedrock of, of uh, our hope is uh, unchanging, unfailing God. Amen? And so, I couldn't think of a better place to go for that than the book of First Peter. The book of First Peter. This letter was written during a very horrific and widespread persecution. The ruler that was in charge at that time, Caesar Nero, he was a sick man. And uh, there was this great fire that broke out in Rome, and it was believed that Nero himself was the cause of it, that he had this desire to build and to rebuild much of Rome and to build unto his, great, his own greatness, essentially. <clears throat> and so in order to do that, they had to destroy much of what was already there. And so as suspicions began to ignite and people were beginning to look at him as the cause of this, he had to figure out how to shift the blame. And so the Christians became the blame. They were the easy target. They were already seen as rebels. They were even called atheists because they didn't worship the pantheon of Roman gods and they didn't acknowledge Caesar as Lord. So they were an easy target anyways. And so everybody began to look at the Christians and they began to attack the Christians. And there were all kinds of horrific things that happened. It's been said that They even had Christians crucified along the roadsides and set afire as streetlights in the evening. And and on and on it went. So this was what was going on for the church at this time when Peter writes this letter. And there's this persecution throughout the Roman Empire. And Peter's objective is to redirect their focus to their one true hope, their heavenly hope. And not to simply say, this is going to pass It's going to be okay, but he redirects their attention to something greater. And this is universal for all Christians and at all times. Faith in God and our eternal hope is what anchors us in the storm. Faith in God and our eternal hope is what anchors us in the storm. 
Our faith and hope cannot be in this economy. It cannot be in the stock market. Our faith and hope cannot be in career. It cannot be in health or relationships, security, stability, comfort, possessions. These things, there is no certainty in any of it. No quicker than we get these things, they're gone and it's out of our control so often. And so our hope cannot be in that. Our hope must forever be in God and His promises. Amen? That is where our hope must be. And so that, that's what Peter is essentially going to encourage the Christian church with. So, with that, we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 1, 1 Peter. Peter is first going to encourage them in God. I'm just going to pick certain verses from this chapter. We're not going to cover the whole chapter. Uh, but the first encouragement, Peter is going to encourage them in God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So, here we have it. Peter is the author of this letter. And he's writing to these Christians who are scattered abroad throughout the Roman Empire. In the closing of this letter, Peter has this interesting phrase. He says, um, she greets you from Babylon. She who is in Babylon greets you. And so we believe that that is a reference to the fact that Peter is actually in Rome, in the city of Rome, as he's writing this, as all of this craziness is happening there. And he's kind of speaking in code because he wouldn't want to give up the location of where he and the church is actually at. And so history has it that it was under this persecution happening right here that Peter would die that Peter would uh, go to his final death. And, and history has it that Peter was actually crucified. That he was crucified upside down because he didn't see himself as worthy to die the same way that his Lord did. So they honored his request and they actually crucified him upside down after having first seen his wife be crucified. And so that's the situation essentially that's going on. And he's writing from Rome, we believe, and he writes to the Christians scattered throughout the empire and and all of these places that are mentioned are actually modern-day Turkey. Modern-day Turkey. So that, that's where these particular churches and, and Christians are located. And he refers to them as pilgrims. Pilgrims of the dispersion. Persecuted and scattered throughout. I, you know, that, that to me is such a great way of uh, describing a Christian. Because that's what we are, brothers and sisters. We're, we're pilgrims. This is not our home. It's not our home. Heaven is our home. And we belong to the kingdom of God. We are His loyal subjects. And we are under His authority. And we bow the knee to Him and to His will. And so we recognize that while we are here, we are just passing through. And that is a real challenge for us. We are tempted always to make this our home and to do everything within our power to build for our, ourselves our own safety, our own comfort, our own security, our own kingdom, really. That's, that's what uh, the temptation so often us is for us to live for. But that is not to be for the Christian. We are pilgrims. We are just passing through. And then he says that you are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What that simply means is that God knows you and God chose you. God has always known you. 
Before the foundations of the world, God knew you. He knew everything about you. And He chose you to be His own. I can't help but think of uh, Jeremiah in the Old Testament. He said to Jeremiah, Before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I called you to be a prophet to the nations. And so, in a time like this, in this kind of persecution and difficulty, in a time like this, for us, where we are here and now, it's important for us to remember and to know God knows you and God chose you. God loves you. You belong to Him. If you have called upon the name of Jesus, if you have believed upon the Son of God, then you belong to God and He is your Father. And He loves you. And you are safe in the Father's arms no matter what happens. No matter what happens. God has you. He's in control. And these kinds of things that are happening right now in our time, in our day, this is a fresh reminder that we need God. That we're not in control. We never were in control. That's, that is one of the benefits of these kinds of things. As uncomfortable as it is, it's a fresh reminder that we really can't control much. Try as we may, we can't control much. But God is in control. And so we want to entrust ourselves to His loving and fatherly care. And we certainly have needs. We all have needs. And right now, that is, that is a real point of concern for many people as people are losing their jobs, as the economy is coming to a screeching halt. And when you know that you belong to the Father, you know that your Father will provide for your needs. We turn to God for provision. We have that promise. The Bible tells us that He knows us, everything about us, and He even knows our needs. Matthew 6, 8 says, Before we even ask God, He knows our needs. And how wonderful is that? What a promise. What a promise is that? That God knows us, He loves us, and He knows our needs before we even ask them. And here's the thing, God is faithful. God is so faithful. 2 Timothy 2.13 says that even when we are faithless, He remains faithful. He cannot deny Himself. He cannot deny who He is. He is a faithful God. And so we have hope. We Christians have hope because we believe in God who knows us, He chose us, He loves us, He provides for us, He is faithful, and so we have hope. And when the Christian talks about hope, we're not talking about some sort of wishful thinking. That is not what hope means for the child of God. It is a confident expectation. I know, I know God is faithful and that He will provide and David, in the Old Testament, he was able to encourage himself in this way. I've always thought this was such an interesting verse. Sometimes we have to. We have to remind ourselves of the truth. Sometimes we have to preach to ourselves. And David did this, Psalm 43, verse 5. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. He's talking to himself and he says, why are you so downcast? Hope in God. Hope in God. And, and this, uh, one thing I would like to say is all of this is very much back to the basics kind of stuff. You know, for many people, this is not new. This is not new, but this is the kind of thing that we need to be reminded regularly because we forget these things. We forget the beauty and the simplicity of it all. And we have to go back to the beginning, folks, and remember who we belong to. And that He is in control and that He is 
faithful and that we have hope in Him and that we can even encourage ourselves in those realities. We have to remind ourselves of what we know is true. And so Peter starts there. He starts by reminding them who they belong to. Next, we're going to see that Peter is going to encourage them with a heavenly perspective. A heavenly perspective. Verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Mark that word. A living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. So he starts by saying, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is to say, praise Him. Honor Him. Speak well of Him. Lift up His name. Praise God. You know what? You can praise God no matter what's going on. In the midst of everything that was happening to the people that Peter was writing to, he said, Blessed be God the Father. Praise Him. Praise Him. No matter what is going on in your life, the heavenly perspective. You can stop and take your eyes off of you, off of your situation, and you can set your focus on God and worship Him. Sometimes that's the very thing that we need. That is the very medicine for the soul, is to stop worrying about ourselves and looking at our situation and fixing our eyes on the glorious One, the One who is able, and to worship Him in the darkest times. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. God is merciful. God has an abundant mercy. It never runs out. It never fails. Day by day, His mercies are new. You know, mercy, when we talk about God, is God not giving us what we deserve. And then there's grace. That is when God, God gives us that which we didn't deserve. We don't deserve blessing, but God is so gracious and so generous, He blesses us anyways. We didn't deserve that, but God lavishes on us. What we do deserve, what we do deserve is rejection and punishment because of our own rebelliousness and our own wicked hearts. But God withholds what we actually deserved and instead gives us blessing because God is abundant in mercy and we should praise Him for that. Praise God that You didn't give me what I actually deserved. You know, we don't want what we actually deserve. We don't want justice. Uh, we, look, we may be tempted to look at other people sometimes and think, you know, they got what was coming to them or they should get what they deserve, but reality is we, we don't want that for ourselves. And so it does us well to just get back to the basics and think about the fact that God has been so merciful and He is so gracious and He has caused us to be born again, as it says here, born again to a living hope. God has caused us to be born again. If He did nothing more than that, that's amazing. He didn't have to do that. God did not have to save us. But He saved us and now He blesses us. He provides for us. He leads us. He teaches us. He grows us. He secures us. In the end, we will stand before Him in glory because He kept us until the very end. So we have all of these wonderful blessings that God did not have to give us, but He did because He's abundant in mercy. And He caused us to be born again. 
How often do you just go back to thanking God that you're saved? Thanking God that you have been forgiven? Thanking God that you have a hope and you have a future? Praise God for that. We're told here that we have a living hope. We have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, so often in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament times, there people were worshiping false gods, dead idols, pieces of wood and and stone and, and metal. But we have a living hope. We have a living Lord, a risen Lord. God is alive. He is on the throne. His Son is alive. He rose from the grave and is alive forevermore. And He ever lives to make intercession for us as our great High Priest. And because He lives, guess what? We too shall live. Because Jesus rose from the grave, we have confidence that we too shall rise again and that we will be with Him forever and ever and ever in glory. And so that is the living hope. That is the living hope of the Christian. And that is what Peter is trying to set their focus on. God knows you. He chose you. He loves you. He's in control. You have a living hope. You serve a living Lord who at this very moment is interceding, who is praying for you at the right hand of the Father. And then he says, we have an inheritance. We have a heavenly inheritance. Undefiled, incorruptible. It does not fade away. I love what the NLT says. It does not change. I love that because you think about the stock market, it changes every single day. But our inheritance that we have in heaven, it only grows. It only grows and grows and grows. And that is the hope. It's a heavenly hope. We're to have our eyes fixed on heavenly things. If we have our eyes fixed on earthly things, it can be quite depressing, right? It can be quite discouraging. But we have a heavenly hope and a heavenly reward. Now let me just say, this is a foreign concept. This is a very foreign concept, I think, to me and to most Christians. I think we rarely consider heaven. I think that the older people get, the more real the promises of heaven become, and the more they look to that, and they're so grateful for it. But I think especially for younger people, you know, we're thinking we've got plenty of life ahead of us. We're very concerned about what's happening here and now. Heaven is not much of a reality and a heavenly bank account at that. It's just not something that we think much about. We are absolutely concerned with the comforts and the pleasures of this life. And it's very easy to do that because there are plenty of them. We live in a place where there is so much available to us. We just do not want. We do not want for things. We have it all. And so it's very easy for that to become the very thing that we are always living for, that we are consumed with. And then when we start to lose that, oh man, I mean, things just, it's crazy. You know, when we start to lose those things, now it's getting really real. And so... um, we have it good, as I said, and it's hard not to let those kinds of things distract us. But here's, here's the, the deal, guys. It's, it's all deception. It's so deceptive. I think the Bible even refers to it as the uncertainty of riches. There's no certainty in any of that. As I said earlier, no sooner than you get it can it be taken away from you. And so our hope cannot be in any of that. We can't be living for those things. And that is why what Jim Elliott said, I've quoted it many times before and I'll say it again, it's so poignant. Jim Elliott said the missionary who died in the mission field, him and his buddies, in his journal they found he had written, he is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep. 
to gain that which he cannot lose. You're not a fool if you give away the very thing that you can't keep anyways. Because when you do that, you're going to gain something that you cannot lose. Something that will never be taken away from you. The promise of God Himself as our Father and the hope of heaven and our heavenly inheritance and reward for serving Him, for honoring Him, for setting aside those things that everybody is chasing after and deciding that I am going to live for God. That I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to serve Him. I'm going to worship Him. I'm going to be about His business, about His kingdom. This world has nothing for me. I'm not living for the, the, the kingdom of this world anymore. I'm living for the kingdom of God. And it's in times like this that we understand why that is such a wise thing to do. Because we find all of these other things that we were chasing after. I think it was Solomon that said it's like grasping at the wind. Good luck trying to catch it. Good luck trying to catch it. So Peter reminds them that they have an inheritance in heaven. They have a heavenly reward. And that's what we are to be living for here in this life. Number three, Peter encourages them through testing. Through testing and trials. He says this in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's talking about the testing that they are now under, the trials, the tribulation that they are experiencing. And he says this, "...in this you greatly rejoice." You rejoice in testing? We rejoice in trials? You know, Christians can do that. We can rejoice in testing and trials, in difficulty and hardship and tribulation. In fact, James says that we're to do that. We're to count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith, what? It produces something. It produces patience. God takes difficulty and He works something beautiful out in us in the midst of it. Nothing is wasted with God. Nothing is wasted with God. And that is a hope that the Christian has. Again, that is a hope. That is one of the, the great things about Christianity is that even difficulty, God uses it for our good. It's not easy to rejoice in these things. I don't know that I've ever... I can't think of a time when I just rejoiced when something bad was happening. But at the, the end of the day, we know that it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And then he says this, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved. That's the thing. Trials are temporary. Trials are temporary. They come and they go. And they come again. And then they go again. And so we can get so caught up over trials that are right in front of us when all reality, this too shall pass. But at the same time, we know more trials are coming. So there's a sense in which you have to learn to live and be okay with those things and let them have their effect in your lives. But know that trials are temporary. What's in front of you right now is not going to be forever. And now there are some people who do have serious trials that they will experience for as long as they are here in this life. But even Paul said this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
There's coming a day when we're going to know such glory and it's going to be an eternal glory that all of the sufferings that we experience here will fade away. It will no longer be. And so we look forward to that day knowing that we can rejoice in trials and we know that trials are temporary. But I do want to state the obvious here. He says that you having been grieved by various trials. Trials are grievous. I don't like trials. I don't think any of you like trials. We don't like them. And that is understandable. That is just a very... That's a, that's a, that's a reality uh, for us. <clears throat> but here's the deal. Suffering and difficulty is a very real part of life. And that will never change. Before this whole coronavirus thing came, there are people in our church who were suffering. And when this thing passes, there are going to be people in our church who are still suffering in our community and in this world. That is just a fact of life. And so we can get really caught up with the difficulty and the fear and the hardship that's coming along with this corona thing, but the reality is this is not new. Suffering has always been a part of life and it always will be this side of glory until we see God face to face and we stand in glory. That's just a real part of life. And so many churches, I just don't think, prepare people for that. You know, I wonder how many churches in January, in the new year, said that 2020 is your year. 2020 is the year that you're going to get that breakthrough. 2020 is the year that you're going to get your miracle. I bet none of them were thinking that in just a couple of months, 2020 is going to bring a global pandemic. 2020 is going to bring a global financial crisis. You know, so often churches are serving cotton candy diets for spiritual things. And that, uh, that causes us not to be able to stand firm when these kinds of things happen. And so we have to take a good hard look at it. Suffering is just a very real part of life. But God does accomplish things through it. God does use it for His glory and for our good. First off, we're told here that it tests the genuineness of our faith. Though be tested by fire, the genuineness of it is manifest. Genuine character reveals itself in difficulty or the lack thereof. Genuine character manifests itself in hard times. What's really going on in there comes out. Who you really are shows. And God does that for us. Praise God that He allows us to see what's really going on in there. And that's when it counts. We can be real holy and real joyful and real loving when things are good. But how are we when things go sideways? And God is very gracious to allow us to see that. Do you start panicking all over Facebook? Do you start flooding social media with the, this thing is going down and we're all going to die? Do you start flooding it with conspiracy theories? Um, these are things that we have to be careful about, folks. We don't want to go crazy in these kinds of things. God lets us see, is there peace in the midst of the storm? Is there trust in God's power in the midst of the storm? Is there hope in God's promises and God's faithfulness in the midst of the storm? God allows us to see if that's really what's going on in there when difficulties come. And then God refines us in difficulty. God will reveal those things to us, and then God will heal those things. He will cleanse those things. Praise God for that. And guess how He does it? He does it with difficulty. 
He does it with hard times. God stretches us. God turns up the heat. God busts us up, for lack of better terms. And uh, that's, that's what God does. Uh, he uses difficulty. There's a saying that I have heard and I've used many times, and it's, it's doubtful that God will use a man greatly till he's wounded him deeply. God desires to use us and to get glory out of us, but He has to break us first. He has to get some of that impurity out of us. And God uses difficult situations and difficult people and difficult times to do that so often. I wish He could just zap me and make me uh, how He would have me to be. Uh, But unfortunately, so often, that's just not how He does it. And here's the thing. We should not wish difficulty away. That's really hard. Um, So often when hard times come, we want it to pass as quickly as possible. We want to go back to a place of comfort and ease. We want to circumvent what God is trying to do, what God could do. We don't want to submit ourselves to the process. We don't want to surrender to the difficulties. Uh, we just want to get out from underneath it, get away from it. But we should not wish away the very thing that perhaps God is desiring to use in our lives. And so then he says that it will be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. One day there will be a reward. There will be a reward in heaven for, for our faithfulness to God, for our service to Him. And man, it feels good when you pass a test. You know, it feels good when the test passes by and you have reaped the benefits and you have been strengthened and you have been proven and God grows you. It feels great. And that is just, uh, that is just the reality of it, you know. Um, but it's going to be really great on that day when we stand before God and He says, well done, you good and faithful servant. That's, that's the hope. That's the hope of the Christian. Come what may down here, there, there is coming a day. There is coming a day when we're going to stand before the Lord. I think it was Martin Luther that said there are two days on his calendar. There is two day and then there's that day. Two day and that day. That day when we're standing before the Lord. And what we want to hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what we look for. All right. Next Peter encourages them in Jesus. Peter encourages them in Jesus. I can't think of any better way to encourage somebody than in Jesus. So he says this, verse 8, "...whom having not seen, you love, though now you do not see Him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls." Our love for Jesus is an anchor in the storm. Our love for Jesus, that is our hope, that is our joy. I, I think of this song, it says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. I'm sure many people know this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look to Him. Love Him. Worship Him. Adore Him. Cry out to Him in time of hurt, in time of need, in time of uncertainty. Look to Jesus, the One whom, having not seen, yet you love. I love that phrase. You've never seen Him, yet you love Him. And you know, Jesus spoke a special blessing about those people. 
And he told Thomas. Thomas doubted that Jesus had actually uh, risen again from the dead. But then when he saw Him, he said, My Lord and my God. He worshipped Him. And Peter, uh, Jesus said, Blessed are you, Thomas, because having seen, you have believed. But how much more blessed are those who having never seen, believe. And that's us. And there's a special blessing Jesus speaks of for those who haven't seen Him, yet we know Him and we love Him. It says, though you do not see Him, you believe Him. That is to say, you trust Him. We trust Him. Who else are you going to trust? You're going to trust yourself? Who else are you going to trust? You're going to trust the government? I mean, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I didn't mean to sound like anti-government there. That's not what that was. I'm just saying, ultimately, where is our trust going to go? Who is not going to fail us? Jesus will never fail you. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the one in whom we put our trust. And we're told that we can rejoice with joy inexpressible. We can rejoice in our love for Jesus in the most difficult situations. And history has so many stories and examples of Christians who were rejoicing all the way to death as they were marching towards a certain death, whether they were going to be burned alive for their testimony or crucified or whatever the case may be, it's been documented that they were singing to Jesus all the way to the point of death. We can do that. Something that's so very special about a person's love for Jesus. And that we are encouraged in the most difficult times. And then verse 13 it says, Therefore... Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so this idea of, of girding up the, the loins, uh, this is old school language. Uh, some of the more modern translations uh, might say dress for action. The idea was in this time people often wore robes. And that would be very cumbersome. It would be very difficult to have to run or even fight. So you would basically hike up your robe and, or even take the back of the robe and pull it between your legs and tuck it into your belt and your robe became essentially like shorts for someone who was getting ready to fight or run or whatever the case may be. And so Peter is now making this a spiritual illustration. And he says you need to uh, prepare your minds. Prepare your minds for action. And then he says this, be sober. Be sober. Sober-minded. The word, it literally means having presence of mind. Clear judgment. Enabling someone to be temperate or self-controlled. Uninfluenced by intoxicants. Uh, I mean, that's the, the more common understanding. When we hear sober, that's what we think. But it means to have one's wits about them, their faculties, which is the opposite of being irrational. We don't want to be irrational in times like this. We want to be sober-minded. We want to have our wits about us, our faculties. And we want to rest our hope fully upon the grace at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That was what Peter encouraged them to do. Don't panic. Don't freak out. Think soberly. Think clearly. And rest your hope on Jesus. Rest your hope on the grace of the Lord. Control the temptation to panic. Control that temptation and to start to give in to the what ifs. What if, what if, what if. So often the what ifs don't ever happen. But rest in the Lord. Rest in the Lord and rest in His, in the hope. The hope that we have. Let it rest fully upon the grace that is be, to be revealed to us 
in Jesus Christ. We can do that. We have that ability. And then lastly, the last point here, Peter encourages them in the Gospel. Peter encourages them in the Gospel. Verse 18. He says, "...knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ." as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. We have been bought, brothers and sisters. We have been redeemed. We have been purchased. We're told here that we were redeemed out of slavery. That's essentially what that means. We were slaves. We were slaves to sin, slaves to death, but we have been purchased. And now we belong to the Lord. We are His possession And we're told that it wasn't with gold or silver that we were purchased. Something of far greater worth. We were purchased with something of far greater value. Nothing compares to the worth of Christ. And that was what God gave to purchase us from death and from slavery to sin. The very blood of His Son, Jesus. You see, we had a debt. We had a debt that we owed to God. And I think, um, you know, for me personally, I knew it was a big debt. Because you didn't have to convince me that I had done wrong and that I was not a good person. I knew that I was a bad person. And so I had a debt to be paid. And the thing is, I could not pay it. It was a debt that I could not pay. And I had to stand before a holy and a just judge and give an account for my sin for my actions, for my rebelliousness against Him. But God, who is love, who in desire to be merciful and gracious, sent His Son Jesus to live the life that none of us could live. He alone lived a life of perfection, a life of true and sincere love to the Father, a life of perfect obedience to the law of God. He was the only one who did not owe a debt He never sinned. He was tempted and tested in every way like unto us, except He did not sin. He stood the test. And He alone was innocent, yet He died in our place. He died in the place of the guilty and the wretched sinner. So that if we put our trust in Him, in His righteousness, and in His death in our place, we will be forgiven. What we owed, our sin debt, was placed upon Him on the cross and it was judged there and then by God. And it was washed away. And Jesus said, it is finished. That sin has been paid for. It is gone. Salvation has been accomplished. It has been achieved. So believe on Jesus for salvation. Believe in Him and His righteousness will be given to you as a gift. And so He died in our place. He was a substitute. He took our sin upon Himself and died on the cross under the wrath of God. And then His righteousness is given to us as a gift so that when God sees me or when God sees you, He sees the righteousness of His own Son. That is the good news of the Gospel. I had a debt that I could not pay, but I didn't have to pay it. Jesus paid it for me. And the righteousness of Christ was given to me so that I stand before God, not by my own works, not by my own righteousness, but by the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, the one and only truly righteous 
one, Jesus. That is the Gospel. And so that's what it means to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. That's what it means to be bought by the blood of Jesus through His life of obedience and His death on the cross and His resurrection from the grave, proving that God accepted His sacrifice and that Jesus was truly innocent, truly righteous. He rose again from the grave. And as I said before, because He lives, we know and we have the same hope that we too shall live. And that is our living hope. And that is what it means to be redeemed. And then Paul, and I'll close with this, he says this in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? Verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God was willing to give His own Son, if He did not spare His own Son so that we can know Him, so that we could love Him, so that we could be brought into the family of God, how will He not freely give us all things? Sometimes I think we can fall into the trap of thinking that, you know, maybe God saved us, but that's it. You know, now God's just standing there waiting for an opportunity to get us. I think some people fall into that trap. Or maybe they think, you know, I, I know God loves me because He has to, but I just don't think He likes me. You, you know, uh, I think that's the kind of love that we so often are, are used to feeling or experiencing. <clears throat> but God saved us with a glorious salvation. He could not have paid a higher price. God could not have possibly done anything to demonstrate His love in a more powerful and profound way than to give His only begotten Son that we would be bought so that we would be redeemed so that we would be His. How then can we question His faithfulness? How then can we worry about whether God's going to provide for us? Brothers and sisters, we have so great a hope. We have such hope. Put your faith, put your trust, put your hope in God who has already proven that He would pay the highest price, thereby demonstrating that He loves you and that He will take care of you and that He's going to provide for you. And even in the difficulties, God is going to use even that to make you more into the image of His Son because God is committed to growing you and making you making you more and more into the image of His Son, as I said. And so, let's trust God. Amen? Let's trust Him in the challenging times because we have a hope like no other. Let's put our faith in Him and let's rejoice over our living hope. Father, we love You. We praise Your holy name. Thank You, God, that You are so faithful. Thank You, Lord, that You provided so great a salvation for us. I pray for any who have heard this message in this time of, of fear and uncertainty that they would come to You, that they would call upon Your name, that they would confess their, their sin to You, and that they would cry out for forgiveness, that they would trust You for salvation, and they would look to You for hope, because truly our hope is in You and in no other place can it be found. We love You, Father. We praise You. And I do pray for all of the needs out there. I pray for the people who are struggling, for the people who are fearful. Would You calm their fears? 
Would You bring peace? Would You bring joy? Would You bring a certainty and a gladness and a hope that is ours in Christ Jesus? For those who are struggling to make ends meet, God, I pray that You would provide for them in a very special and supernatural way. We all have stories, Father, of how You have done that. At just the right time, just the right amount, Lord, in Your providence, God, You provided, and it's for Your glory. And so I pray that. I pray for health. I pray for strength. I pray for provisions. Father, I pray that You would be glorified and that Your kingdom would advance in this time. Lord, nothing can stay Your hand. Nothing can stop You. You are in no way hindered by this virus. You are in no way deterred from doing Your perfect will. So God, we cry out, Your will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we rejoice knowing that it is and it will be. In Jesus' name, amen.